0: Last week we saw from Scripture that we are born with a complete inability to save ourselves. When we begin to comprehend what God has done for us through His Son Jesus Christ on the cross, we should, out of a heart of love and gratitude, share with others so that they too might have that same hope and a relationship with Him. And as we think about giving it away, talking about our faith in Jesus Christ, not that we have anything that we can give them, other than the knowledge and the information and the ability to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to keep something in mind. Galatians or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 states, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And we think about that, Satan would love nothing more than the, for the followers of Jesus Christ to keep their thoughts and opinions to themselves, we've all heard it said one time or another: "Leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. Just mind your own business. I have my way to God. I have my way to heaven. I even hear it amongst believers sometimes. Those who claim to know Jesus Christ. Well, there's several ways to get there. You have your way. I have my way. leave me alone. You know, just I'll, you know, I'm okay. Just, just, just kind of mind your own business. Satan would love nothing more than for followers of Jesus Christ to keep their thoughts and opinions to themselves. And when you do that, he gets a little notch on his belt. He gets a little victory won in the small battles of life. He would love nothing more than for followers of Jesus Christ to be too busy and to be too distracted from sharing their faith with others. However, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 is where I want to start this morning. But before we do that, let's just take a moment and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. Lord, as we've sang two songs that talk about leaving the 99. Lord, we know that your desire is for us to know you. Lord, if you didn't have that desire, you would never have sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to shed his blood. Lord, to offer us a relationship with you. Lord, we know that you love us. You care for us. You want a relationship with us. And I pray, God, that if we truly know you, that, Lord, that out of a heart of love and gratitude, we would want to share that with others. Lord, speak to our hearts this day, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's amazing as we consider this verse. It says, We are ambassadors. First, it's these three things that we see found in the text here. Number one, we are his ambassadors. Number two, we plead on his behalf. And number three, we proclaim his message. So let's break that down just for a moment. We are his ambassadors. In other words, an ambassador is one sent as a representative of someone else. You are a representative of Jesus Christ. It's one who guards another's interests. Uh, An ambassador is an important official who is recognized as someone representing someone else. You according to God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. An ambassador. That means that you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are one who is representative of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the universe. You are His representative on official business, guarding and protecting His interests. So number one, we are His ambassador. Number two, it says we are pleading on His behalf. Um, When you consider that, God is making His appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. In other words, we're pleading in His stead. Um, He said, I've given you boldness. I've given you the courage. He said, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. So He's made you uh, to be pleading in His stead. Now remember, when Jesus Christ left left earth after He died on a cross, He ascended into heaven. Do you remember the scenario that we see? There are these men standing around, and the angel says, what? Why are you standing around, gazing in the heavens? Go do what you were told. We have a mandate. We have a command. We have a, a job to do. We have a purpose to fulfill. And our question is, are we doing that? So we are pleading in his stead. He is now at the right hand of the Father. We are still here on earth. Are we pleading on his behalf? And then number three... It says, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, we're proclaiming His message. Be reconciled. And there is no greater message. It's a message that changes their eternal destiny from one of going to eternal destiny in hell to eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. So we're His ambassadors. We're pleading on His behalf, and we're proclaiming His message. But I believe that we need to keep four principles in mind when speaking to people about the gospel. And I think if we would mind these four things, we'd get a little bit further in life. Uh, have you ever met that person who's never wrong? <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you know you have. Maybe you're that person. And we try to argue, and we try to persuade, and we try to convince, and we want them to know the truth because they don't know the truth, and we have to pound it into them. And the question I have to ask sometimes is, how far do you get? How's that working for you? Here's four principles that I think we can keep in mind to help us get further in presenting the gospel. The first one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 16. It says this, Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Now there's three aspects about that one verse I want to highlight just for a moment. Number one, it says avoid irreverent. An empty speech. The word irreverent has the idea of worldly speech. Irreverent is not always necessarily translated just as it should in our English translation. It has the idea of being worldly. What is worldly speech? Now, I don't have to stand up here and give you examples of worldly speech. We know what that is. It's the things of this world that have really no value, they have no real substance. We could go even further. It might be those cuss words. It might be those words that we know that don't need to be a part of our vocabulary. But more so it's the idea of making talk about the things of this life that don't really matter. They're worldly conversations. Now there's nothing wrong about talking about the weather. There's nothing wrong about talking about how hot it's been. There's nothing wrong about talking about that commercial grade freezer I want in my living room right now. Um, Those are just conversations about everyday life. But when everyday life subjects consume us about how much we like or dislike the president, how much we dislike or like what's going on around in the world schemes, where do those conversations lead? Ultimately, they don't get you anywhere. They're worldly. They're of this world, so to speak. And then he says, and empty speech. In other words, the the empty speech has the idea of just chatter. Somebody, in fact, I remember when I was teaching junior high at Mifflin County Christian Academy out in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, uh, I wrote this phrase across the top center of my blackboard. Some people talk not because they have something to say, but because they have to say something. There are people who just have to talk nonstop. They can't sit in silence. It drives them insane. If it's quiet for more than 10 seconds, they got to say something. They gotta hear themselves talk. That's the empty speech that it's talking about here. So he says, avoid empty chatter. In other words, if it's not going somewhere, if it's not going to be productive, don't engage in it. And then there's a third point here. He says, avoid irreverent or conversation of this world and empty speech or empty chatter, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. And that word godliness has the idea of it will drive them further away. In the original language it has the idea of pushing back. So when you engage in worldly talk, empty chatter, and someone is knowing that you're doing that, it's just going to further push them back from understanding what they need to understand. So the idea behind this verse is Choose your words. Be careful about how you say them. Because it could affect how they understand or if they understand what they need to know. A second principle here is found in 2 Timothy 2.23. It says, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Because you know they, they breed quarrels. Once again, there are a few key words here. Says reject. In other words, refuse. I'm not going to engage in conversation that is worthless. You all know that person that's never wrong. They always have to be right. There's always that person that is gonna one up you. You gotta tell a story, their story's gonna be bigger, better. And you know it's not true. He says, reject those foolish and disputes, those disputes and arguments. The word ignorant means uninformed. In other words, it's just once again idle talk. It's words without wisdom. Words without understanding. Words that don't go anywhere. And disputes has the idea of speculation. In other words, methinks. What I think. And can I just tell you what I think of my own mind really is irrelevant? Is that true? Because really what matters is what God's Word says. So when you're talking with somebody who says, well, I just believe that all of us are going to go to heaven. You know, you have this way and he has that way and she's going to go this way. No. But oftentimes, arguing about it is not going to get you where you need to be. So he says, avoid ignorant disputes. In other words, the dispute is speculation or what I think. We always need to come back to what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? What is the guiding principle from God's word that you need to understand? It doesn't matter what Ken thinks. It matters what God's word says. He said avoid opinions in other words. So he says reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. It just creates more disunity, more discord, more anger. Number three. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient. Don't quarrel. You ever gotten to argue with somebody, and then you walk away and say, what did that bother? You know, what did that help? You ever, you ever done that? I know I have, because I have to be right sometimes. I'm that guy sometimes. Maybe you are too. But he says, don't do it. It's not going to produce anything. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, speak the truth how? In love. Speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean you have to argue about it. Doesn't have to mean you have to get louder about it. Doesn't mean you have to like prove your point because they're just not getting it. God's word also says in Proverbs 51 that a what? Soft answer turns away wrath. I don't have to get louder. I don't have to get in your face. I don't have to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. I simply, with a soft answer, speak the truth in love. That's not natural for a lot of us. You know what a screamer is, as Mark Lowry says? Some of you don't pay any attention to. Screaming doesn't get you anywhere. It's taken me a while to get some of that through my thick skull. Here's a fourth one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Have you ever talked to that person, and you're trying to share your faith, and you want them to know what's, what God has done for you, and they want to talk about their boat, or their children, or their job, or anything else under the sun? He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can I just make this point in closing in this part of it? Stay on track. Sometimes we're all over the sun and all of a sudden we realize that or all over the earth and sometimes we realize that boy time's up. Stay on focus. Stay stay pointed to what was most important Jesus Christ. Because that's what makes the difference in our lives is Jesus Christ. So the question is, how can I get this accomplished? How can this be accomplished? How can I do these things? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. It says, Pray at all times in the Spirit and with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray pray I wish I had learned this earlier. We were just talking about this morning before we came over how what God used in our lives to bring us to him. In my family it was a bus route. We had Brian John came to our door every Saturday for 6 Saturdays in a row. Hey, we have a bus coming through your area. Can we take your kids to church? And we were just talking about this morning. My mom said, finally, after six Saturdays, fine, take him. Just get him out of here. Quit leaving. Leave us alone. So we went to church on the bus route. And uh, from a little kid, all my life I've been in church. Pretty much every time the doors were open because mom and dad made us. We didn't have a choice in the matter. They forced us. Looking back, I'm glad they did. It wasn't at the moment. But uh, I'm glad they did. But I can remember from the time I was a little kid, pray, pray, pray. I'm telling you what, there's no better sleep medicine than prayer. Let's be honest, guys. I pray before I go to sleep, right. That's better than Ambion, man, I'm telling you. It puts you out. But when you realize how effective prayer is and how important it is, it changes everything prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to be there, to be where you're working in the midst of everything, changes everything. I'm telling you, I've seen more answered prayers since November than I have in the last five, six years. It's been amazing to watch God work. And no matter how you talk, no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, it's not going to be effective if the Holy Spirit's not at work just know that we all have friends and family members and relatives and co-workers that you in your mind you say man I wish they knew Jesus I wish they were going to heaven one day when they died I wish that they knew the truth but somehow in the deep recess of our mind we just say well that's just who they are they're not there but have you prayed about it have you asked God to work we ask God to open their minds and their eyes to understanding what is truth and what's not. Without prayer, and we say it around here all the time programs without prayer is just stuff on a calendar. We want God to be at work in what we're trying to do. And we hope that what we're trying to do is what He wants us to do. We're praying for that. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. He or Jesus gave us the most powerful resource to fulfill his command, the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says in John, without me, you can do nothing. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. Sometimes we want to control the outcome. Anybody control freak? Let's be honest here. I like to control the outcome bunch of y'all are not telling the truth. I'm just saying. I like to control the outcome. I want to do A and B and C be the result because that's what makes sense. But God sometimes doesn't do it how I want him to do it. Anybody else experience that? I mean, I'm just telling you, I think of like the battle of AI and Gideon and... uh, 300 men, really? I mean, you start off with a whole bunch more than that. I want more, not less. I want swords and spears, not pitchers and trumpets. I want I want I want fighter jets. I want bombs. God says no? Just pitchers and pitchers and trumpets will do. really? Because that's not how I think. I want more, more is more. more does things. God doesn't think like us. Let the Holy Spirit do what it can do. Because you can't do what it can do. And he can do far more than what we ask or imagine. There have been times in ministry where someone says, Well, you gotta do this, and I said, Let's just pray about it for a minute. Let's just pray. Let's see what God does. I mean, just simple things. Like, I need a sign. Let's pray about that. Prayed one day. One day! I get a phone call. Hey, Ken, i got a sign. Do you think you could use it? You can't make that stuff up. Let the Holy Spirit have a chance to work sometimes. Well, you need to do this. Well, no, I'm going to pray this week and see what God does. And and God does something. And then we're shocked. Why are we shocked? We just prayed for that. But are we willing to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work? I say it often this way on Saturday nights. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would go before us, go with us, and come behind us. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's everywhere. The Holy Spirit indwells in us as his children, right? So he's there. But I'm asking God, even go before me and work in the hearts of those people before we get there. And then, God, go with us and show yourself strong while we're there. And after we leave, continue to work. Go before us, go with us, go behind us. Come behind us. And show yourself strong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I mean, think about that just for a moment. We thought we were going to die. But then the Holy Spirit came. And why did that happen? So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Do you really believe that God is powerful? Do you really believe that God can do what you and I can't? How about taking that step of faith? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, how can this be accomplished? It says love consists in this not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. How's your loving one another doing? Have you ever noticed that some people are easier to love than others? <laughs> you ever noticed that some people are real difficult to love? I, I've said to my wife on a couple of occasions, I know I love you, but do you like me? That's a just that's the icing on the cake. I mean, you love me because, you, yeah, you're supposed to love one another, but do you like me? That's a different subject altogether, right, women? You love your husbands, but do you like them? That's a different subject. Some people are easy to love. Some people are not so easy to love. And this next point goes along with that. Let me read it, Matthew 20, 26 or 28. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must first be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you willing to serve without expecting something in return? See, you will never serve until your first love. Do you love the unlovely? Are you willing to serve them? Without expecting something in return, loving and serving go hand in hand. You can't really serve with the right heart if you don't love with the right heart. So, what will hinder my effectiveness in giving it away? I think there are two verses I want to bring out in closing: Matthew six twenty-four and Matthew six thirty-three. Matthew 6:24 says no one can serve two masters. Stop right there. So what's a master? Somebody you serve. Okay, but how does that practically play out in our lives? Well, a master is anybody that we serve. Who is it that we're serving? How do I know who I'm serving? Who is giving your time, your energy, your focus? Who gets your energy, your life, your focus? Since he either will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, he cannot serve both God and money. See, a lot of people do serve money. A lot of people serve what they enjoy. Some people, it's a job. I'm not talking about not being faithful to your employer. We have to do that. And remember, God gave you a job for two reasons to provide for your family and to have a mission field. That's it, it's your mission field as a believer. And it's to provide for your family. So that's a good thing. But does your job have you or do you have the job? Some people are controlled by what they participate in. So you can't have two masters. Either God comes first or he doesn't. Because you can't have two first place. I mean, have you ever seen a championship game and both guys are like, Woo, we're both number one! Doesn't work that way. One team's going to win, one team's going to take second place. Can't have two first place. God can't be first place and anything on this earth be at first place at the same time. One or the other is going to be elevated. And if it's not God that's elevated, we have to make a decision. And then the second verse of Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. One of the greatest hindrances to effectiveness is wrong priorities. What's he said? and we learned this last week. He's already given you power, acts eight. And First Timothy says, "I've not given you the spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. He's given you the mind and the ability to do what I've asked you to do. So it's not a matter of us having wrong priority, or or not having the power, it's a matter of having wrong priorities. And if we're not willing to love and serve, then nothing gets accomplished. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go up to uh, Northside Baptist Church, and if uh, you've ever taken a long road trip, you just got to have music. you just got to, I mean, I... Probably bored John Spitless. I, I, I invited John to run up to Alcart, Indiana with me. He was, he was bored sitting around here, so I took him, out of the, took him out of New York. But I listened to music all the way there and all the way back, some preaching, some devotion, a little bit of everything but music. But one of the songs I played for him was the one by a group called Acapella Vocal Band years ago. And it just simply says, everybody should do all the good things that nobody did. We all have this idea that someone is going to do this job. Everybody said that anybody could do the important things that somebody should do. Everybody said that anybody could do all the good things that nobody did. Everyone has an idea that someone else is going to do it. Well, that so-and-so, they're really, I mean, they got the greatest personality ever. They've never met a stranger. Man, they know the verses. They know, I mean, they got charisma. They. I mean, they just got that, that personality that just attracts people. And boy, they're really good at it. So, man, have at it. You, you, you be that person. And we kind of give ourselves an out oh, this guy, he's retired and he's got more time than I got, so you know, I'll just let him do it and I'll get more serious later because right now I don't have as much time and God understands that, so I'm going to let them have that responsibility. Everybody said that anybody could do all the important things that somebody should do. Everybody said that anybody could do all the good things that, yeah, that's right, nobody did. We leave it to someone else because they have more time, they have more energy, they have more personality. They have more skills. They have more this, more that. And we give ourselves an out. I don't see that in Scripture. I think all of us need to take the opportunities that God gives us. He gives us all differently. Some people are that person that never met a stranger. Wonderful. Use it for God's glory. Some of you are more intellectual and you meet with other intellectual people and you're like up here and I'm down here and you're better off up there than me. You can meet with them. But whoever you are, you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You've got an influence that she doesn't have and you've got an influence that he doesn't have. All of us has a sphere of influence. And the question is, are you opening your mouth? Are you able to talk? If indeed Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life, if you indeed do believe that there is a heaven and a hell, if you do indeed believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you and you're sent from your sins and to provide eternity in heaven with him, if you believe that, and if you're thankful for it, and if you're grateful for what God has done, why would you not want others to know about that? Two hands and a foot, because I need one to stand on. We're all guilty of this. All of us. I think all of us could do a little bit better job. You know why I got married? Because I wanted to. In fact, I reminded my brother Craig there's only two things in life I've ever beaten him at. Only two. Only two things marriage and kids. He has kicked my tail in every other subject. Books, sports, you name it. But I beat him in those two things. But you know why I got married? I wanted to. You know why you got married? Because you wanted to. You know why you do what you do? Because you want to. You know why you're involved in this hobby? Because you want to. You know why you go to that store? Because you want to. You know what we all do? The things that we want to. So if we're not involved in being a witness for Jesus Christ, is it fair to say it's just because we don't really want to? Because we do the things that are important to us. All of us do. Does that mean that I have to do it every day of my life? I think it's more important question to ask, am I taking the opportunities that God gives me? Am I willing to take the opportunities that God gives me? That's the question. Am I willing to take the opportunities? Am I praying for those opportunities? And when God gives them, am I willing to walk through that door and have that conversation to begin the investment into a relationship that will hopefully give us an opportunity to invite them to the most important relationship? But it starts with a heart of love and a willingness to serve. That's where it's at. If that's not in our heart, We've got to change that. It's not easy. It's not always convenient. Remember I said the other day, a few weeks back? Compassion without action is just empathy. I can be empathetic towards a lot of things, but compassion leads to action. Do I have a heart to help? My one to open my mouth and to do what God has asked us to do hope we can work on that. And as a church, begin to see people come to know him because we're concerned about it. And we want to change that. Hopefully that's our heart. Don't leave it to someone else who is more gifted, or has a better personality, or knows more. You take the sphere of influence that God has given you and act upon it. Because every one of us has a different sphere. You have friends that you get along with. Neighbors, coworkers, relatives that understand you and you them. Use it for God's glory. Not our own. Let's pray. Generally, Father, Lord, thank you.